John Roderick. We speak to you from our present, which we can only assume is your distant past, the turbulent time that was the early 21st century. Fearing the great cataclysm that will surely befall our civilization, we began this monumental reference of strange and obscure human knowledge. These recordings represent our attempt to compile and preserve wonders and esoterica that would otherwise be lost. So whether you're listening from an advanced civilization or have just reinvented the technology to decrypt our transmissions, this is our legacy to you. This is our time capsule. This is the Omnibus. You have accessed entry 1006.JE3122, certificate number 29297, The Public Universal Friend. To allies and strangers, all those you endure, the rights of all living things fight to our poor. So may you grow old. I guess if you're finding this show in an underground archive in the year 4000, um, maybe we will, maybe we'll categorize the show. Maybe we'll have a little Dewey Decimal System here uh, Hmm. because all of our, maybe you found all the shows about uh, unusual colonial American religion together. Oh, I see. Because we are doing, gradually this is becoming a show about. Uh, unusual colonial American religion and cars and cars and, cars and airplanes. <laughs> if you're in the far future, you don't know that every Tuesday I did a show about the great awakening. And then on Thursday, John did a show about some, uh, quickly discontinued model of car or weird airplane or Hitler, Hitler in a weird airplane, Hitler, maybe Hitler in a, car that gets crashed into by a weird airplane i don't mm. know that would be the the ideal omnibus sure that's the that's the tarantino omnibus i i like to think of myself as the public universal friend i think of you that way too we should all be the public universal friend a public universal friend i just like the in our day the public universal friend is there is none. tom hanks i don't know yeah <laughs> oh yeah I ever, guess. ever since fred rogers died the post has been empty <laughs> But it does Bacon. feel like a thing you could say to yourself on the way out the door. Like today? Yeah. I will be to all a public universal friend. A public universal friend. Uh it's um it's a great name. And that's it's maybe the more interesting part of this show is that it's somebody's name. You 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 usually love an acronym and you haven't said puff yet. <laughs> I think in writing about the public universal friend, people do sometimes say P U F. Yeah. Uh, even scholars. Because it's it's difficult to refer to the public universal friend. Let me explain first off. Um, even though we did Thomas Jefferson's Bible like exactly one week ago right. in our era, um, we're doing the public universal friend today. It's a request show from a listener named Alex, who also requested some other great shows that have already been on my list, like Emperor Norton the First of San Francisco, um, the uh, uh, DMZ tree cutting incident mm-hmm. of the 1970s. Yep. Um, those are, one. those are things we had already been thinking of doing, uh, but they just did not have the Great Awakening in upstate New York. And so I, I found myself drawn to the tale of the public universal friend. Is there a brand of public universal friend silverware by any chance? <laughs> the, uh, the public universal friend is a person. And just to give it away at the top. Or puff. Or puff, as we call the friend. Uh, it's difficult to, uh, th- this can't be a turns out because throughout this story, the way you refer to the public universal friend is a big part of the friend's story because the friend in the friend's life preferred not to use any pronouns at all to refer to the friend. Oh, the friend. Yeah. Okay. So scholars today writing about the friend sometimes tend to start with she and wind up in he or they, um, but the friends, the friend, I guess, occasionally would use he when, when push came to shove, to refer to the friend's self. 
But really, the friend would just prefer if everyone around the friend just said the friend all the time, even the second time the friend appears in the sentence where the friend already appeared. Uh, you know, now we have a um, the style guide uh, dictates that we use the pronoun of a person we're discussing, the pronoun that they prefer. Yes. And that... And that they would be okay for a singular referent. Right. But but is is that true? I mean, you, you make it sound like scholars are not clear retroactively on how to how to refer to the friend. And if someone wants to just be called the friend in every instance, you would use a pronoun. Does it make you sound dumb when you're writing about the friend and every time you say the friend's name, you have to call the friend the friend? The more I say the I mean, friend or hear you say the friend, I start to... The, the, I actually start to conjure the friend. I almost think there should be no pronouns because it has this kind of lyrical, repetitive quality when you keep having to say the original noun every time in a sentence. Yeah. Yeah, right. I, pronouns are a lazy person's uh, language. Yeah. Why don't we just... I, why just don't keep I say, saying the I was talking truck. to Ken Jennings and Ken Jennings said that... Today, he was going to dress like a... Oh, I used he. It slipped see, in. See? Today, today, Ken Jennings was going to dress like a postman. They, uh, they. The problem is personal pronouns. I mean, what do you say for I? That's the pronoun that's hard to get rid of. John Roderick. If I just refer <laughs> John to... John Roderick is here. Yeah, just, just re- refer to John Roderick as John Roderick, because you wouldn't even be able to say myself. No. If you're some kind of grandiose narcissist who always refers to... To... To John Roderick's self <laughs> in the third person, then it comes very easy to you. Hey, John Roderick's at the party. Hey, John, what's up? <laughs> I do like it. I, just just the repetitiveness of the friend, but it also starts to conjure like a purple dinosaur. Uh, it in the sense like it's of, a little sticky sweet. Like, I think it, it may become a little creepy. Yeah, the, the friend, friend feels a little bit like not me from uh, from Family Circus. I always thought it was very um, ominous. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I always thought it was a very ominous one. I see that clip of Mr. Rogers saying, look for the helpers. Yeah. Because I always imagined the helpers to be some kind of cloaked race with glowing eyes. Yes. The know? helpers are very tall and they are when I see like a dis- When I see a disaster on TV, I look for the helpers and, <laughs> and only I can see them. <laughs> when I'm alone in my house, I look for the helpers Even and they're that, there. Because today that's the trend in horror. Is it something like the friend or the helpers that then turns out not to be friendly or helpful? Right. I wonder what kind of what kind of movie it would be. Would it still be a horror movie? It kind of might be if the friends and helpers are actually friendly and helpful, but uh, but still glowing eyed, <laughs> like ten foot tall. Yeah. What about a movie where people start reading about a uh, uh, a tall, spindly visitor called the Babadook in children's poetry, and then it just turns out to be uh, just a cute, helpful guy. Yeah. He's the the Babadook <laughs> shows up, and he's just like a Dr. Seuss. Super benign, like, oh, you left the stove on, but I turned it off for you. And mommy, like, mommy, I was outside, and the Babadook <laughs> helped me find this. And it's she's super happy. Oh, that's yeah. the button that fell off my coat, Timmy. Yeah, exactly. It's Thank a four-leaf clover. Thank you, Babadook. I, want, I, I feel like that may be the next, you know, the new earnestness. <laughs> Maybe it's time for there to be... Horror movies that are, you know, that end up feeling good. The, the thing is, does the music and photography style cha- stay horror movie the whole way through, even when pleasant and um, wholesome things are happening? Like the walls start to bleed, but it's honey. <laughs> That's the nicest thing you can think of to bleed. Well, well yeah, what maybe. else is it going to bleed? Like uh, like hydraulic fluid. Applesauce. Applesauce. I don't know. Coors. All, all of that is bad to clean up. Coors. Yeah, I mean, honey immediately made me think, ew, I don't want that. Looks, it's going to look like some H.R. Geiger room if the walls are bleeding honey. It's cool if you like. Basically, you don't want your blo- walls to bleed anything, I'm fine. Yeah. No, no matter right. what the. The more I think No matter how it. delightful the substance. I mean, man, liquid gold, but then the oh, house boy. is going to burn down. That's very hot. I guess I just looked up languages without pronouns, and Japanese apparently is as close as you can come. Does Korean have pronouns? It does. In Japanese, the um, there are words that function as pronouns. There's ways to essentially say I or whatever, but they all just mean a noun. Like I is essentially humble servant or something. Right. So when you say I go to the store, you know, your, your, listen, your Japanese listener would hear I go to the store, but literally what you're saying is your humble servant goes to the store. So there's no... Is Japanese... Gender free? Yeah, I mean, there are languages without gendered pronouns, too. I don't think Japanese is... Well, that's a good question. And you know what? Let's leave hmm. it to the listeners. Okay. Yeah, please uh, write us at omnibusproject at gmail.com. When, when we're two steps removed from the subject of the show, I still look things up. Yeah. When it hits three, I'm like, hmm, 
Do I want to Google this? A little bit, but... We'll we'll do it in a different show. I always kind of want to Google the thing. Anyway, so this is by way of saying that, you know, you can't make it a cool twist when gender rears its head in this story because you're making a political choice no matter how you refer to the friend. The friend, when the friend was born in 1752 in Cumberland, Rhode Island, um, the friend was assigned the gender at birth of female and the name of Jemima Wilkinson. Jemima. Which was, Jemima's a good name. It is a good name. But it's been cursed by years of the... Syrup. The, yeah. And the, the walls bleeding syrup. Hey. Whoa. What about walls that bleed maple syrup? That's pretty good. Yeah. If you live in the forest, you could make it's, a case that the walls do. It's a Canadian's dream. <laughs> Uh, the, but yeah, I mean, Jemima is kind of a, it's also a benevolently racist caricature or maybe not even benignly. It's uh, Jemima's probably out of style for that reason. Yeah. Hard to know. But in Britain, I think it has its own life. There's Jemima. A, yeah. There's a Beatrix Potter. There's Jemima Puddle Duck of, you know, 19th I, I, century children's literature. I cannot divorce the name from the caricature. So I, so the idea of it being an ancient English to you, it's, to you, it's always uh, an African American caricature. Yeah, someone with the uh, isn't one of the kids in Chitty Chitty Bang Bang named Jemima. You know, I've been meaning to watch Chitty Chitty Bang Bang. I can save you some time. Oh, is that right? It's not good. <laughs> it's a flying car. I was just watching uh, the Kenneth Branagh movie Belfast, and a lot of that movie is about Chitty Chitty Bang Bang nostalgia. Really? It, it essentially implies that Kenneth Branagh became a film director and a theater legend because of. The wonders of Chitty Chitty Bang Bang. Wow. I, I, so I, imagine a universe without it. I also uh, felt a great deal of wonderment about Chitty Chitty Bang Bang at the time. I was just scared of the, the child catcher or whatever he's called, who was the Babadook of his the day. The friend. Look out for the helpers. <laughs> yes, one of the kids in Chitty Chitty Bang Bang is named Jemima Potts. Hmm. And of course, Jemima Kirk uh, from Girls. But these are all British people. The name is biblical. It's one of the three daughters of Job. Oh. I think it's the replacement daughters. And not the original daughters. Sure. You know how bands, you know, sometimes the Temptations have replacement members? They don't. They, you don't have to tell me. <laughs> it, happened to, it happened to Job. <laughs> I mean, the Temptations were not replacing their, like, leprosy-killed members. Uh, none of the Temptations died of boils, as far as I'm aware. No, although there's, there's still an opportunity for a <laughs> Temptation to die of boils. I feel like my it's band is, is going to replace me, although I'm the, I'm the, uh, You're the driving the, force. the lone member. Yeah. It's yeah. going to be like the... Uh, Has that ever happened? Has like a one-man band ever replaced the one-man? Well, no, but like in Credence, uh, sure, I mean, the, the three guys were like, we're, we're, we're just going to slightly change the name. Yeah, you know, I think we all, you know, we've seen lead singerless versions of these bands. Right, right. But, but I'm imagining like somebody touring as the Mountain Goats in 50 years. Oh, and it's just... <laughs> and it's not John Darnell. John Darnell's uh, like second cousin. Some guy who played keyboard for him at his last show at a county fair in 20... 81. I can't think of a version of that. Although, wait a minute. No, it's always, a, it's always that there's a, a, a band tour, like the Aquabats. I don't know if there's any original member of the Aquabats in, in the current touring right. Aquabats. Well, Job got three replacement daughters. The sons are yeah. not named, but one of the daughters is named Jemima. Jemima. And this explains why in colonial America, you would give a little girl the eighth daughter, the eighth of 12, um, or a friend whom you then took for a girl. Uh-huh. <laughs> uh, you know, even in recent years, it's not clear what the implications of this story are for feminist scholarship, for colonial scholarship, for religious scholarship, for transgender and non-binary scholarship. So this is just going to be a hash pronoun-wise. Pronoun wise, and right. please send your letters to John Roderick. <laughs> P.O. Box five five seven four four. Yes, please make them a paper letter. I will only answer a paper letter on this topic. Now, it's not a coincidence that uh, the friend, then erroneously known as Jemima Wilkinson, was born in Rhode Island. Rhode Island being, of course, the... The colony formed by, the, uh, by a man who was kicked out of Massachusetts. Yeah, the colony of miscellany, <laughs> I guess. Uh-huh. The, yeah, it was uh, somebody, if you weren't Puritan enough for the Puritans, or possibly too Puritan for the Puritans. That's the thing. Which is it? Roger Williams left Massachusetts because his ideas were a little too nutty they for the were. pilgrims. They were. He thought every hat should have two buckles. And they were like, <laughs> no, one. <laughs> exactly one. Uh, and as a result, um, for... You know, decades thereafter, Rhode Island was the place where freethinkers and dissidents of all kinds went. Mm, even still. 
Yeah, if you're a Quaker today, by law, <laughs> you are you your kindergarten teacher tracks you to Rhode Island, right. and there you stay. It's um, the it's the last place where the, the the mafia really thrives in Rhode Island. I didn't know that. Yeah, they they control the trash routes and the Quaker congregation. I believe so. <laughs> Yeah, Jemima, we only have a we only have a few notes about the friend's childhood when the friend was still known as Jemima. Apparently, the friend was um, very into horses. Yep, horseback riding checks uh, out. Um, so possibly uh, again a freighted term, but what we would have called in our era as like maybe tomboyish, um, athletic. Hmm. Well, horsey girls are, are are a breed apart. Maybe literally. Right. Yeah. <laughs> But um, but in this case, also, you know, athletic and outdoorsy, mm-hmm. um, you know, possibly a rough and tumble kind of girl, but also very gift uh, or kind of friend, but also, you know, uh, uh, gifted, you know, reading very early, could recite biblical and Quaker texts. Her family is uh, affiliated with the Society of Friends in Cumberland, Rhode Island, mm-hmm. um, which is a name for the Quakers. Right. And is where the, the friend appellation comes from. Also true of David Byrne. Oh yeah, I was like David Byrne <laughs> took on a transgender, From, a non-binary was he identity. Born in 1750s? No, but no, he went but to he, RISD, right? And was a Quaker. Not everyone at RISD is a Quaker, surely. What if they were? Can you confirm that? What if it's a hotbed of Quaker art? <laughs> <laughs> uh, every time you say this on the show, I say just like Richard Nixon. So let me say right now, yes, and All Richard right. Nixon, and Richard Nixon, and Richard Nixon was a Quaker and went to the Rhode Island School <laughs> of Design, and he tried to whip inflation, but not now. In general, this is a good uh, good etiquette. If anyone ever mentions David Byrne in conversation, you should always say, and, and Richard, Richard Nixon. Nixon. Just like how in your house. Yes, in bed. No, in, yeah, okay, there's that. I was thinking about at the end of saying grace when someone says amen. Right. Your family always says, this is the way. Yes, we do. From the Mandalorian. Yes, we say, well, because our family, uh, Grace, was developed by my then nine-year-old daughter, and so she included this is the way at the end. And, and, it, then, was, and it was my fault. She's, uh, yeah. she's, she, she saw my family... She Say loved a quick your prayer grace. before dinner. Well, you would you would describe it as a quick prayer. Maybe it's a quick prayer in your tradition. It was only eight minutes, John. <laughs> did, fairly, your, did your soup get cold? Fairly extensive prayer <laughs> by our standards. Well, but, let's please bless the following <laughs> foods: the fish sticks, the tater tots, Dear the, the tartar Lord. sauce. <laughs> on this day of plenty, that's like on holidays where like the family patriarch feels like you got to really got to roll out the big prayer. Today. Oh, my uncle Junius on Thanksgiving would always stand up at the head of the table like a Norman Rockwell dad. Yeah, and he he would have Thanksgiving dinner at his house. I think expressly in order to have an audience for this and give an entire like Seder long lecture on Thanksgiving. <laughs> Wait, does the, each food have a symbolism like at Seder? Well, I the think, Brussels you know, sprouts yeah, they represent do, because it's like, this was my grandmother's creamed onion recipe. <laughs> and this, these green beans came all the way from Kentucky. The French fried onions uh, represent the crisp, Massachusetts winters faced by the early settlers. But he always had some spin on everything that was just eye-rolling because he was, you know, from a from a generation in my family of orators. And so Hard my, to believe. my sister and Hard I would just believe. elbows on the table. Like, but now everyone who listens to any of your shows has, you know, yeah. gets karmic revenge. Yeah, they're great. They're they're you're, grateful. You're, no, you're that, passing it forward. That I was raised this way. <laughs> but no, so we we do, so we had you over for dinner the other night and my daughter asked if you would say the grace, and and you did. And then at the end, we all said, your this, family included, this is the way. This is the we way. We agreed beforehand that there would be a nod to the Judeo-Christian God. Right, we said it, And amen. then there would be a nod to our true God, Disney+. Plus. <laughs> we said, this is the way. And I noticed, you know, you're, the, the three Jennings all... Uh, you know, kind of was it, hesit- du- was it dutiful? Well, no, you hesitated over this is the way. Not sure if it was. I mean, we then we had a little Did theological you, discussion. Like we would be smoten. Well, uh, but 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 we concluded that that this, if if we were saying a, a prayer to the Judeo Christian God, it would be the way. I mean, that's that was your point that this yeah. is the way. Really, just emphasizes the content of any prayer. It is the way. Muslims should be saying it. Right. This Buddhists is the way. should be saying it. And we say it in a secular way. This is the this is the way. You should just add it to whatever. Mantra or or chant you do and Nixon <laughs> and Nixon <laughs> and so it be, um, but sadly the Quaker heritage of the friend um, does not last into uh, adulthood. By the by, the time the friend is um, in the friend's 
early, it's not, it's not that hard when you get into a rhythm of it, in mm. the late late teens or early 20s, about the time we all have a religious awakening. But the Friends are the Quakers. It's another way yes. of referring to the Quakers. Quakers is, I think, maybe started out as a pejorative, right? Right, because they quoke. The, the more traditionalist religious people were like, they need to stop doing all that stop fervor. With that quaking. Stop the fervor already. So, it's not well behaved. But when you say the Friends possesses. Sorry, I mean the friend apostrophe is. Yeah, that's the little, it's Little is this why pronouns exist? Are we have we reverse engineered the reason for sure. for personal pronouns? I, you know what? I'm not going to take a stand on pronouns on this show. You don't want letters. I don't. Well, no, if I do want letters. If you're annoyed that John is not taking a stand on pronouns and is thus insufficiently uh, 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 supportive of the cause, no, 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 that's right, right. To John. No, 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 no. I'm not taking a stand on pronouns because I am. I am. You're so supportive. Of I'm them. very supportive of the of, and I don't. What it, what it is is I don't feel like I can speak right authoritatively about pronouns. I'm going to take my cues from. I'm going to read the room on P- pronouns. Perhaps it's our time to listen. Huh. As as cis white men, and so let's get back to the conversation where it's just you and me talking. No, let's, into just, let's just listen. The oh, rest of the, right. the rest of the show will be like a Quaker a Quaker meeting. It'll it'll be utter silence until one of us is moved upon by the spirit. Do you honestly think somebody like whistles a wind at, at Quaker? Services? <laughs> Have you ever been to a Quaker service? They're no, all, is, there, is there somebody whistling into a mic? No, but they're all in very drafty, uninsulated wooden structures, and you hear the wind. <laughs> that's that's come, part of their theology. Come in through the crack in the uh, cracks in the windows. Uh, in the so in the 1770s, when the friend is now a young person, um, the friend has a religious conversion from the Quaker religion to what at the time is called New Lights, the New Lights Baptists. Called the New Lights Baptist by whom? <laughs> by New Lights Baptists and Old Lights Baptists alike. So this is not a term I had heard before, but I guess it was super common uh, into the 19th century to, when there was any like religious schism in a denomination. Instead of saying Orthodox and Reform or uh, Prairie Synod or whatever you would say today, right? The, the thing at the time would be no matter what the the distinction was or the different the theological difference was, you would just say, "Oh, uh, are you Old Lights or New Lights?" I didn't know that. I had never heard this before. That's crazy. And in trying to track down what it meant, it's actually unclear because it means something different in every case. Old Lights Congregationalism, Old Lights Baptists, it's it's different in every case. I, old, new Lights feels like the name of one of these hipster churches that play rock <laughs> yeah. and roll like that are in a, in a mini mall. Hey, I want to tell you about your, your public universal friend. Yeah. He was a carpenter from Galilee. <laughs> <laughs> Come on down to New Lights where we have rock and worship. Well, I just don't think the old lights people would stand by it. Like New Lights makes it seem like, hey, we've received new light. We've received new divine light from God, and that's why we're doing infant baptism the correct way over here. And look at these yo-yos over on uh over on 10th Street. They're still doing it the weird old lights way. Although it's weird when you think of like the the term conservative, if you if you digest it, is kind of pejorative. How but, so? They want to conserve things. Well, yeah, but it just there are things like, you and I like to conserve: forests, mm, jams, and jellies. True, true. Uh, but it that's does. About it. <laughs> it does. It it does feel very. It's very descriptive of. It doesn't feel very modern. Right. Right. So old lights might feel. Maybe that's the idea. Like, yeah, they might be like, yeah, hey, that's right. We're the we have the old we have the the original lights. We have history on our side and the the power of tradition and precedence. When did that fall out of favor? It was actually during the Ford administration <laughs> when the old lights and new lights Symbionese Liberation Army broke up. No, I, I I did not see cases after the Second Great Awakening. So this is very much a did not survive the, the, the Civil the War. First pl- the first flu. Oh, oh, uh, oh. Civil War. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah, I mean. 19th, sure, that makes sense. I mean, 19th century. Um, so her family, st- her, I did it. See, the friend's, the friend's family, family starts to separate from the local Quaker congregation. And in fact, you can see in turn. Well, the whole family does. Well, it's it's uh, the friend first, then Jemima. And then <laughs> Jemima's, what, 11 brothers and sisters? This happens over a period of time. And it's partly because of doctrinal disagreements. You know, uh, the friend appears to uh, enjoy the the fervor and charisma of the Baptist church down the way and not the the staid Quakers in which the friend has grown up. Um, but a lot of the family's movement away from the Quakers is a result of what follows. In the year 1776, hmm. I've heard of it. America's war. 
Of independence. A daring guerrilla war for independence being mm-hmm. fought in the dales of uh, Pennsylvania and... New Jersey. New Jersey. Yeah. Where all, where all great wars take place. Massachusetts. The... Um, Brooklyn, New York. Yeah. There were battles in Brooklyn Heights. Yeah. Manhattan, even. Uh, a, a, a continental army ship called the Columbus pulls into Providence Harbor, uh, full of British prisoners. And then as now, the British prisoners are all full of one thing. Rum. <laughs> Two things. <laughs> Rum, digestive biscuits, uh, three mm-hmm. things. Rum, digestive biscuits, and typhus. Oh. So a wave of what now historians believe to be typhoid fever races through the cities and towns of Rhode Island, all, all three of them, all three of the cities and towns of Rhode Island. <laughs> Killing all the swamp Yankees. And uh, the friend, the friend's self, is brought low by this fever, what what the, what they're calling the fever, yeah. which is really, you know, it, even by the fever, it was not the cool kind of sexy <laughs> Eartha Kid fever. Like even by the, by the math of today's kind of scary pandemic, like it's just another order of magnitude back then where like literally all your neighbors have it and you're pretty sure a bunch of people in each house are going to die. I mean, that's something right. even in our terrifying global pandemic, we don't have to live with. Well, yet. And, and also then... <clears throat> Someone in every house or multiple people in every house die. You have 12 brothers and sisters, so that could be as many as five to seven people. Right. And there's no... Luckily, you've got replacement... You do. Replacement, replacement j- joke kids everywhere. But uh, there's nowhere for those bodies to go, right? Mm. Uh, an ambulance doesn't come. So now you're dealing with five pestilential children bodies. Children's bodies. And they, this is where the horror genre comes yeah. from. Yeah. Uh, the friend um, takes to the friend's sick bed at the age of 23 um, and actually falls into what appears to be a coma mm. and is on the brink of death. And in fact, in the friend's own account, the friend dies and has a glorious vision of archangels with white robes and golden crowns. And the person named Jemima Wilkinson stays dead. But the mm. archangels return that body to life in the new identity of the public universal friend. Well. So it's a superhero origin story. Yes. It's PUF begins. Yes. Bitten by a radioactive spider. Bitten by a radioactive Quaker. <laughs> um, okay. Well, I'm, I'm with this 100%. Now, in the 19th century, there was a lot of anti-PUF scholarship. Most of the writing about the public universal friend was suspicious um, and aimed at um, discrediting the friend and the friend's movement and the friend's work. Because all those writers were were also busy writing long exegesis on uh, phrenology. And <laughs> right. the right. other- True science had, <laughs> had advanced past this silly charismatic religion of the 19th century, and we were into eugenics now. Right. We'd finally found something real. Um, so, and so these 19th century writers would say, none of this ever happened. There was no typhoid Come epidemic. On. Oh, wait a minute. They deny the typhoid epidemic? <laughs> yeah, they're, they're basically uh, uh, anti-vaxxers. I Seems guess. like that would be in the... <laughs> There's it, not even a pandemic. Wasn't there a... Didn't other people write letters? The il- basically, the illness was fake. Um, oh. There was no such coma. This is all reverse, uh, this is, you know, later revisionism to explain. But in fact, uh, this is a, a big change in the public universal friend's life. Immediately, the friend tells the friend's family... No longer refer to me as Jemima. In fact, no longer refer to me as a girl or woman. Um, the I'm, friend recovers. I'm not a she or her anymore. Yeah, the friend rises from a deathbed in, you know, what seems to be miraculous fashion, which really bolsters the friend's story of, of archangels and a new, a new life, and says that... Um, Are we sure the friend isn't a Highlander? <laughs> there can be only one, mm-hmm. I guess. Um there was no public universal friend appointed when the public universal friend died. So okay. maybe there is no, that's why it's still vacant today mm. until Fred Rogers. Um, another kind of genderless Quaker type from the Northeast. Sure. The, um, the friend decides that from now on, the friend will not be wearing a female identifying clothing anymore. Female coded clothing of any kind, or which, which or, might have been or styling more controversial, even than calling oneself the female or the, uh, the universal friend. Look, this would all have been super weird in a high school 10, I mean, not weird, but this would have all been raised some eyebrows in a high school 10 years ago. Imagine in 1776 America, even Rhode Island, 
Right. This was all very unconventional. Um, the friend, you know, because the friend sees the friend as having a new religious mission, the friend begins to wear clerical robes. I see. And if you think about a clerical robe, it combines male and female fashion. You've got kind of a flowing what, dress or skirt, but you also have like male tailoring up top, right? There's a, maybe a collar, collar yeah. and another another kind of male coded, masculine coded stuff sure. up top. So, and you know, they're they're kind of black or maybe a royal purple. So it's it's a hybrid look. And you know, you could say it's the first kind of Annie Hall uh-huh. kind of <laughs> big big wide tie tucked Diane into a vest. Keaton, floppy hat at the Golden Globes kind of outfit. But also it's um it's using the the idea of clerical or angelic robes to just get away from any gender convention. Uh, are angels gendered? Well, that's a, that's a good point. I mean, there is, if the friend is identifying the friend self with angels, angels are often depicted as kind of sexless. Yeah, they sort of transcend gender, don't they? You can't imagine it. Angels getting it on, really. I mean, this is a theological squabble for centuries. You know, are the angels a separate race created by God? When did he create them? You know, how human are their attributes? How many condensed? How many condensed have been? I mean, this was, the deists loved angels because they could, uh, the deists could kind of hand wave away miracles by saying, of course, um, God follows a natural order. And part of that order was created, he created a bunch of angels who can come do miracles. So, right. you know, we've, we've solved all, <laughs> we've solved all the theological problems. The uncaused cause. I mean, you've even got Galatians 3.28, which says, you know, in Christ there is no more male and female. Mm. And, you know, Paul's take there is to say that all, all societal divisions are gone. There's no more black or white, you know, racial divisions, class divisions, religious divisions. There's no more Jew and Gentile. There's no more bond and free. You right. know, political distinctions like slave don't exist because... The Christian identity unites and, and uh, supersedes all. Um, but that would, you know, there's neither male nor female in Christ would have a very deep meaning to someone like the friend right. who is now staking out this new genderless or post-gender ground. Um, as part of, uh, the friend wears short hair in the front, but ringlets in the back, so. Hey, <laughs> <laughs> business in front. <laughs> Ma- male business in front. So it's, again, the hair, even the hairstyle is kind of... Uh, and this is when the family decides that they are into the public friend. Oh, so the friend is convincing, and of the 12 children, the friend seems to be setting the tone. The friend now becomes a, a religious figure with a mission, like oh. a pastoral and ecclesiastical responsibility to spread this new word of a new kind of religion. The friend keeps the, a lot of the Quaker principles, including— um, being anti-slavery, the friend mm-hmm. was the public universal friend was publicly anti-slavery, but um, and the the Quaker um, acceptance of celibacy, the friend really ramps up. You know, as as you might expect, given the friend's new kind of genderless or non-binary, we would say um, coding. The friend also says that you know what's really best is is celibacy. That's a very challenging teaching in for oneself or for everyone. I think it's challenging. It's, it's better for everyone. Hmm. And it's a challenging teaching back then, especially for women, where pretty much the only responsibility of women in society is to not be celibate. You know, be a, be a fruitful wife and mother, and that's about, that's about it there is for you. So these, these um, quicker ideas of celibacy, ramped up to 11 by the public universal friend, are, are really revolutionary as far as how women are treated back then. Because if a woman is celibate, suddenly the doors are now open. You know, a, a woman without hearth and kids can can do whatever. Right. And, you know, the patriarchy doesn't love that. Um, it's unusual for a woman to preach at all, which is why, you know, the the female assigned Jemima Wilkerson now preaching as the public universal friend raises a lot of eyebrows. Although during the this first great awakening, there were a lot more women in, in the It's the beginning of sphere. it. Right. You get Anne Lee with the shakers and, you know, it's the beginning of, of charismatic women starting to do this kind of thing. But, you know, in Puritan... New England of the 1770s 17th and 1780s. century, it wouldn't have happened in a million billion years, but we're in the 18th century now, man. <laughs> this is a new time. Come on. We've got, women can do anything they want to do. Sure, we've or, got compasses. And, or like one of them can be a nurse and one of them can <laughs> deliver water on the battlefield. I mean, one of them can really, really mastermind her husband's presidency. <laughs> who, who are we into here? Dolly Madison? <laughs> no. Uh, Abigail Adams. Abigail Adams. I see. 
Maybe both. Maybe sure. the, maybe Don they're, Madison probably did. Maybe too. they're both the real power behind the throne. I think Sally Hemings was president briefly when Thomas Jefferson got a colonoscopy. A lot of people don't know that. <laughs> the uh, a big, Eleanor Roosevelt is still my president. <laughs> that's a good bumper sticker. The um, the a big part of the Public Universal Friends theology and where the French separates from the Quakers and why their local congregation quickly bounces them all in turn. That you can see the records of this. Con- this is one of the few places where there are firsthand records of the Public Universal Friend before the friend begins preaching is the local Quakers being like, and we kicked out Jemima's <laughs> sister, Sarah for not disavowing Jemima. And we now kicked out Jemima's dad, uh, Jebediah for not disavowing Jemima. Um, so the Quakers are still dead naming Jemima problematic. Mm, right. Um, the friend keep the friend wants more, uh, spiritual gifts, a religion of gifts of prophecy and faith healing, you know, big charismatic theatrical religion. Um, of which the New Testament is full, but of which Puritan, which Puritan New England thinks is a little suspect it's and a little ill-behaved. Yeah, you don't want to go to church and have somebody heal somebody or, or predict the future. But let me ask you, um, to, come out, uh, to come out of a, uh, a, a transcendent experience where you meet the angels and you come back to life as a, as a new— As a new being. As a new being, I could see saying, I am now the friend— and uh, and if you wanted to transcend all local religions, you could say, I am the universal friend. But to put public, mm. to append public mm. there is an interesting, you know, like, um, what, is the, what is the purpose of that what, Yeah, what two adjectives would you choose if you had a, if you arose from a religious epiphany and decided you were going to become a, a prophet? Yeah. I, right. I, I don't know if I would pick public and universal. No, right. And and public seem, indicates, well, certainly that the public universal friend is not going to retreat to the wilderness and sit and stare at a pond. And make silverware. Um, it's, a, it's an activist name. I'm for everyone, and I'm going to do it in public. And that's exactly, yeah. I think that's exactly what's being emphasized, because the friend does become a traveling minister, you know, uh, a traveling preacher. Leaves Rhode Island, heads to the big city, heads to Philadelphia. I think universal may refer to the the doctrine the friend preaches of universal salvation. Oh, I see. Like it's it's the Christian idea of universalism, the, right. the controversial or possibly even heretical notion that God will save all his children. Um, but uh, even before the friend leaves Rhode Island, the friend is attracting wayward Quakers. Did you ever see wayward Quakers when they opened for... <laughs> Yeah. For pavement. Yeah, they, they were great. They they always played the Middle East in Boston. <laughs> uh, you know, because there are many people born into Quaker homes who later are later like, no, man, I love the new stuff. I love faith healing and I love... Um, so it was very easy to find, including influential ones, you know, within a few, within just a few years, a justice on the Rhode Island Supreme Court is a follower of the friend. Um, and Nixon. <laughs> and David Byrne. Captain in the Continental Army mm-hmm. is a is a follower of the of the public universal friend, the society of universal friends as the friend names, the friend's new religion. Um, the, the society of universal friends is, 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 the, is the product of puff. Suff is, is from puff. Well, there's already been the society of friends, right? Okay. So this is the society of universal, universal friends, a Quaker friends. offshoot. Um, you know, the scions of Massachusetts shipbuilders. Suddenly the friend has like also a, a great restaurant. <laughs> is it called the Massachusetts Shipbuilders or is it called the Scion of Massachusetts? The Scion of Massachusetts Shipbuilders. Uh, the uh, friend suddenly has money sure. and clout and um, heads to the big... The Society of Universal Friends, I mean, this is kind of problematic, but for for decades, feminist scholars have referred to this as the first American religion founded by a woman because of how Jemima Wilkerson was assigned to birth. How the friend was assigned to birth when the friend was named Jemima Wilkerson. Right. Um, now that we're more eager... So to- those are th- those are TERFs. Exactly. Uh-huh. Now that we're more eager to claim or, or possibly, I mean, this is all retroactive, but to speculate on um, the trans or non-binary identity of the public universal friend, now it becomes a little more problematic to say this religion was founded by a woman. Right. But it was certainly a religion founded by somebody that the religion society considered a woman, which you got to give some points for, I guess. That was that was harder to do back then. B- baby steps. On that side the, of the aisle. In the 18th century. <laughs> When the friend heads to Philadelphia, there starts to be some opposition. So the friend, by all accounts, was very charismatic speaker and, and personage. The yes. friend isn't isn't accruing all this notice by being a boring talker. Well, I think the friend is a 
you know, a, by virtue of the friend's mystical experience and just the friend's unusual garb and presence, the friend attracts attention. I mean, none of these doctrines seem all that interesting or unusual. And, you know, this starts to butt up against the Great Awakening where everybody and his dog is taking to a pulpit and being like, guess what? I've got the gift of healing from the New Testament. You know, there's right. these become a dime a dozen. There's, there's something in the water. Um, but yeah. It's their, it's their version of, of making an app. That's <laughs> <laughs> their version of starting a podcast. <laughs> Back then, instead of starting a podcast, you would speak in tongues. Yeah. It's not that different, honestly. No, we're both wearing our, our radioactive proof robes. I'm wearing purple uh, non-binary conforming robes right now. In Philadelphia, when as the friend starts to address crowds, that's when angry people start to write into newspapers and magazines. Um, Those angry people are still in Philadelphia today. <laughs> Most of them are in Boston, but yeah, probably some in Philadelphia. Didn't this happen to when we did America's Joan of Arc? She'd start to go to northeastern cities, and there would be angry letters. Yeah. And maybe this is just when any woman appears in any northeastern city at <laughs> any time in the past. You get angry men showing up in the papers. The problem is San Francisco hadn't been invented yet. <laughs> So, um, when the friend speaks at the friend's meetings, there are now hecklers who hmm. now, who are basically like, thou art neither man nor woman. Right. What are these? Rhubarb, you know, rhubarb. Big, you know, the equivalent of, of, you know, today's kind of, um. Thou art neither man nor woman. Non-progressive, uh, internet discourse or Ben Shapiro, uh, broadcast or whatever right. it is. And the friend actually like. Gets the crowd back. The friends, in response to this kind of heckling, the friend says, there is nothing indecent or improper in my dress or appearance. I am not accountable to mortals. Uh, Wow. I always go, that's a big jump, by the way. That's a big (laughs) jump from my dress isn't that weird, too. I am accountable to no mortal authority. (laughs) Kapow! And then it gets even, then there's an even bigger jump. Because that that sounds a little bit like a sovereign citizen uh, (laughs) take on things. Sovereign citizen! Sovereign citizen! (laughs) And then the third thing the friend says is, I am that I am. Which that's all know, that I am. I mean, it, to you, it just sounds like Popeye, but to a person of faith, Arr. that's actually the burning bush to Moses saying, "I am that I am." Oh, I see. Or, or Jesus to the Pharisees saying, "Before Abraham was, I am." This is a claim of godhood. Sure, I am that I am. So the friend, you know, what having is that been, in Greek, that that's actually a that's actually a a, a word in Greek that's and that can be interpreted a couple of ways. On Latino pop radio, I think it's soy lo que soy. A number one hit for eight weeks on the Latin charts. Is there a Greek word? 11 Grammy nominations. <laughs> 11 Latin Grammys for Enrique with Sole Que Soy. My, uh, my ancient Greek is rusty. I'm afraid mine is too. Do we care enough to look this up? That's a third thing. It's a th- <laughs> Let's give some homework. <laughs> um, so the friend at this point is basically claiming, I've been sent back from heaven with angelic authority. I'm basically... Right. And and this is what people say about the friend when they write about the friend is, you know, the friend is claiming to be a, a new messiah, a, a second coming of Christ. But the friend is not claiming that they can't be prosecuted for shoplifting. Basically, I'm not accountable to mortals. Wow. I'm going to go into your dry goods store and uh, I'm going to take what I need for my ringlets. Sure. Um, and as you can imagine, Philadelphia in the 1780s does not respond well, in the seven, late 1770s does not respond well to this. Um there are riots, bricks and sticks, and hmm. the lot are thrown at the house where the friend is staying in Philadelphia. And at one point, the papers even have accusations of a murder. Hmm. Um, somebody, a, a follower of the Society of Universal Friends is staying with a local Philadelphian woman named Sarah Wilson, who, I don't know, dies in her sleep or has a bad dream or something. But then, you know, the papers blame the, the friend follower who is in the home. And then through a game of telephone, they start to say, oh, yeah, this was the public universal friend. The public universal friend killed that woman, Sarah Wilson. Killed her in her dreams? I don't know. I don't know. Hmm. Uh, the, the, the newspaper accounts are vague and get better every time the story is told yeah. and then get colored by later 19th century propaganda about what a terrible rabble rouser the troublemaker the, the friend was. Um, so in 1780, after, you know, literally accusations of murder are tracking... Tra- uh, Troubling the friend in Philadelphia. It should be noted during the war. Yeah, this is all during. <laughs> and, you know, the the revolution we often think of as a time of, you know, we think of it as a secular event. But considering the the religious climate at the time, there must have been both, obviously, religious reasons for the separation, you know, enumerated in the, if nothing else, in the separation of church and state in the, right. in the, the, uh, call the, 
Patriot Founding Father writers and then later in the Constitution. But also it must have caused a great deal of religious upheaval, you know? Um, well, if if yeah. you're looking for a secular explanation of, of the friend's um, collapse, you know, it's it may be a mental breakdown caused by a religious crisis coupled with the beginning of the American Revolution. Because, right, the, the, we would have been fighting also against Anglicanism. Sure. And all of its sort of trappings. We're a comparatively pluralist set of colonies. Right. Um, Although uh, that wouldn't have been the take from Massachusetts and Rhode Island. But there would have been, there was a Catholic colony, a Puritan colony, a dissenter colony, yeah, right, right. And, and so forth. A, a William Penn, a Quaker colony. And I guess Philadelphia would have been the place where all of that was, was it most admixed. Yeah, it's a Quaker colony, but it's a, you know, it's the biggest city, so it's full of... Capital city. People from all over. Um so yeah, this is a, a time of incredible upheaval, and, which uh, we see reflected in people were doing other things too, like fighting the British all around. Yeah, so this and, and, and fighting the Scots Irish too. <laughs> <laughs> Let's be honest, as usual. Um, so in 1780, uh, facing uh, an unwelcome crowd or unwelcome authorities in Philadelphia, the public universal friend does what you would expect: uh, ascend a, directly to heaven. Is that what you want? Well, sort of. <laughs> what did a religious movement back then facing big city um, authorities do back then, John? Oh, they loaded up the Conestoga wagon and they headed over the mountains. They headed to the great American frontier. Yay! Which was then the Finger Lakes region of New York. <laughs> so we have yet another upstate still, New York. And still. Do you, you still consider that the frontier? There's really nothing up there. Uh, that was no offense to all. Uh, I mean, that, of that was a place people. to get away. That was a place to find land and comparative, uh, what political freedom, right? Away from any authorities, you would just just keep heading west. You'd still be in what is today New York State, um, but uh, they, you know, the public, the Society of Universal Friends starts up in the wilds of upstate New York, just as. The Oneida people and the Mormons and all the other um, upstate New York kind of religions. I don't know. Is that where Millerism starts, which eventually gives you Adventism and indirectly the Jehovah's Witnesses? I mean, it was a hotbed That's for where a lot Mormonism of— Mormonism started. I already mentioned Oh, did you? I already mentioned us. Sorry. I sorry. led with us. Um, <laughs> but uh, sadly, this is not a success story. There's really nothing up there. Let's, to this let's, day. Let's be honest. I mean, there's—between Rochester, Ithaca, and Syracuse— I've been all over there, and there's. You I could start a new religious movement any day. I spent the night in Rochester, just t taking the kids to Niagara Falls once, and it was kind of an oddly post-apocalyptic scenario. I don't know, maybe Rochesterian listeners. What's what do you think the demonym is? Rochestonians. Ro yeah, Rochesterinos. Rochesterinos. Rochesterites. You know, it's named after a, an ancestor of mine. Rochester, Rochester. from the Jack Benny show. No, oh, Rod right, you were the Rochesters before you were the Rodgers. Yeah, so, and and uh, and Nathaniel Rochester is an actual, I'm an actual descendant. Can you explain what the weird kind of post-apocalyptic vibe at the Target I went to in in uh, in Rochester a couple summers ago? You know, Rochester was part of the American industrial heartland. There is that. There's the problem is nobody, you know, all, all <laughs> makes the, things in America anymore. All the anymore. tanning mills or whatever that used to pollute those rivers are gone. Yeah. Um, I think it is some of that. The carburetor manufacturers, um, fuel injection is what killed it, Ken. But up there in the wilds of, of uh, Yates County, New York, um, things do not go well for the Society of Universal Friends. Oh, no. They, it's a pretty, I mean, it takes decades. This was just post-Indian Wars, too. I mean, there are a lot of... Sure. This is, this is contentious. It is the frontier. Yeah. Um, for one thing, it's mostly what you would expect, schisms from within. The friend has all these high-profile followers. They are all male, hmm. so they have a lot mm. more clout in the society. And they're trying some, to explain to the friend what the friend is really saying. Exactly. At some point, they're like, wait, why are we why are we following this oddly gender-coded person around? I'm a, I'm a successful shipbuilder. I'm a white male. I know what's up. I'm a damn builder. <laughs> And uh, it, it ends with a lot of these successful these um, successful male followers breaking away, accusing the friend of blasphemy. Oh dear! And some of them take her to court. Some, oh, I did it. Some of them take the friend to court. But uh, the friend is not beholden to any mortal. 
Well, in, authority. That, in that case, that turns out to be true. The case is immediately thrown out because New York State has no law against blasphemy, oh. which shocks all the all the moneyed white men who are like, oh, I thought we I thought we had a wasn't that a thing? him or they. <laughs> um, there are the trouble is the the Society of Universal Friends has kind of taken over a big tract, like fourteen thousand acres. Oh, up in Yates County, New York. Um, but did they start at Chautauqua? Kind of. Someone named the public universal friend who refuses to sign documents as Jemima Wilkerson Wilkinson has no legal rights. So oh. the friend refused to actually sign any of the deeds or paperwork or bank documents related to this huge tract of land. Oh, so it was all owned in it, the name of some of just her high profile her of the friend's high profile male followers. Right. So once there was a there were bad feelings, it was very easy for them to just take the whole homestead. And basically subdivide it and turn friend. it into a bedroom community of <laughs> yeah, Syracuse. Well, what it is today. <laughs> uh, and there was also the problem caused by the friend just um, absolutely sticking by celibacy for the friend's followers. If, oh. You can see how that would be trouble for a new religion. I mean, that's a drag, frankly. You, you mean? I feel like if you're going to start a new religion, it should be about. It should be a sex cult. Like yeah, the it should people. be about doing it rather than not doing it. Of the two LL Cool J songs, doing it and not doing it. <laughs> I ride for doing it. Uh, I was born in Yates County. She was raised out of Brooklyn. Um, yeah, and so it's not just the problem of attracting new followers to a celibacy cult or, or sect. It's also keeping up the numbers once you're in the celibacy sure, you gotta, sect. You got to grow it. You got to grow from within, and that's just not happening in a cult where all the or cult in a sect where all the the most prestige is associated with not doing it. Right. Never taking off your purple robes. Um, so their numbers dwindle. And, uh, but you know, by the end of the friend's life, um, you know, d- despite that kind of burst of Philadelphia publicity in the 1770s, followed by the hopeful, you know, flight to the frontier to begin an, a, a new life in a new American city on the Hill. Numbers are thin. It's all coming. It's kind of like the sh- whatever happened to the Shakers. For, right. this, for the same reason, they were they were not shaking it right. in the bedroom. Um, and on the friend begins to suffer from heart condition. And on July first, eighteen nineteen, the friend passes away of congestive heart failure. The friend's remaining followers. Um, well, for a while, they think the friend's going to come back. They're like, "All oh, right, sure. let's sure. just sit by the body." This is our this is our UFO cult from Chicago. Sure, that's only gonna gonna fly for three or four days, though. And that's exactly Sit what by happens. The body. Uh, they're um, none of their justifications uh, are continuing to hold up, and I'm sure the smell's not great. <laughs> right, fish and uh, fish and visitors, and also profits. Public Universal Friends go bad after three days. You know, I've actually been to an extant Shaker colony. I have too in Western Massachusetts. Uh, I wonder if I. I think we were at the same one. Is there, isn't there one in the Berkshires? Yeah. It just exists to sell furniture now, right? Well, no, it was a, I mean, I knew a friend's father had departed the, the, the earthly realms, but didn't want to actually. Is it offensive to say a shaker dies? But didn't actually want to die. And so went and, and became a shaker and lived in the compound and they, and we The last shaker convert possibly. And it was, it was in the forest and it was, you know, it was a, it was a, a proper shaker colony from the early 19th century. All the buildings still, we had a communal meal there. It was, uh. I've been to the gift shop of one of these and I wonder if it was the same one. Yeah, what were you doing there? I was just passing through, and you want to look at the cool old furniture. Sure. No, this was a... And this was presented as a historical site. You know, there were plaques for this is where Mother Anne Lee did this or that. Oh, no, this was a... This felt very weird and, and uh, like, it, I know we're resisting saying cult, but, like, it felt like summer campy, but um, but active, and everyone there was 60 years old. So it wasn't like... Hey, we're it's Colonial America, and we're wearing buckle hats. It was a bunch of people in sweatpants who were like <laughs> they, were, they their their cult referent had moved up through the centuries. <laughs> yeah, they were definitely practicing something. It got up to the eighties, maybe by the time you were there. It was like get it was like a lot of old deadheads. It felt like. I mean, the descendants of the Society of Universal Friends are still around in Yates County. I mean, they, there's no religious apparatus, but like that's largely who peoples as you as you. Refer to it as the wasteland of, <laughs> of upstate New York. Um, so there's still historical museums where you can read up on 
the public universal friend, who was, I think, forgotten for decades after the kind of the 19th century wave of look at this weirdo propaganda died out. There would have been so many people wandering around the frontier wearing a homemade crown. Saying that they were second Jesus. Yeah. Yeah. So when did the public universal friend uh, become the the focus of scholarship and denunciation? <laughs> I mean, recent years, it's... Um you can't, uh, there were, um, you know, for, for, there was a wave of, of feminist recognition, right? Like, look at this brave person subverting gender, this brave woman, they would have said subverting gender roles and founding this first American female led religion. Um, but of course today it seems like a much better fit to say, um, you know, part of, uh, the public universal friends, personal crisis may have been a matter of gender identity. You know, today we would describe somebody in their 20s who suddenly has an epiphany and is like, I don't feel at home in my own body. I'm going to start coding my clothing and my pronouns differently. Like, that's that's a non-binary or a trans person. Right. Um, so today there's been a lot of um, LGBT scholarship around the public universal friend. And again, you know, it's this is all kind of uh, applying our definitions back in time because you know, even the friend, the friend self would not have had the references to agree. Oh yes, you are correct. Scholar at Amherst. I was non-binary. Right. Um, who knows if amid all the religious, um, uh, paraphernalia, what the friend, the friend self would have thought of that. Well, there have always been trans people. And so we looking, did, we did Lieutenant Nunn on the show. Right. Looking back through history and, and I mean, there are a lot of trans people that this is a likely candidate. Yeah. Made a transition, but there were a lot of trans people that weren't able to, I mean, and, yeah, I mean, at some point we're going to be speculating on which signers of the Declaration of Independence or which right. American industrialists of the 19th century were probably trans and just never came out. Right. Um, that'll be, no, it's no different than the way we consider, you know, a lot of closeted gay historical people. Right. Today. I mean, how, how many of the signers of the Declaration of Independence were gay? It, it has to be an, a, by, by a the noble numbers, percentage. By the numbers, it has to be around 83% of them. <laughs> and I'm going to name them right now. Cesar Rodney, 100%. Button Gwinnett, absolutely. <laughs> right, Stephen Hopkins, right there. Stephen Hopkins of Rhode Island, look, we all knew it. We were all saying it. We all saw the hats. Right. Um, it's easier to name the signers of the Declaration <laughs> of Independence who weren't gay it'll or just trans. Be a, it'll just be a shorter list. I mean, they're all wearing <laughs> stockings and little breeches. Um, no. Uh, but, you know, this is... These things kind of are, you know, the way we see gender is kind of societally based. You mentioned the frontier and the Indian wars of this time. You know, there are plenty of Native American populations that even at this time would have said, oh, no, there's there's clearly five genders or there's, you know, they had their own number. Right. You know, well, the, um, the frontier allows for a lot of fluidity in the sense that, look, man, you can't always if, you know, you you uh all hands on deck kind of thing, you know, like you can't be right. You can't tell, you know, we might need women to do this right. or it's interesting that we've done two of these stories now. I think were they both requests? Maybe one was not, but, um, but they both take place in the new world, you know, in this family of a uh, person assigned a woman at birth who later lives this kind of uh, very non-conforming life in all respects. Right. And, you know, when it comes to Lieutenant Nunn, it was, robbing stagecoaches and right. slicing off people's goatees with the public universal friend. It's being the second coming and, uh, mm-hmm. and starting a cult in upstate New York. But I wonder if that's a new world thing, you know, away from the strictures of the old world, you know, this was the hemisphere for, for gender exploration and exploration of sexuality as well, despite the, you know, the early Puritan stamp. I mean, I feel like Elizabeth one was probably trans. Wow. And this is a strong stance for the Joan of Arc. <laughs> I mean, I think you you can find a lot of uh, you can find a lot of antecedents. It's just that I guess you don't want to fall into the trap of saying you know every strong woman from history was was actually not a woman. You right. know, uh, I, I think it's in the hairstyles. It's the it's the it's the it's the severe bangs that that you shall know them. Although Yates County is still full of uh, Society of Universal Friends descendants in history, you cannot visit the Public Universal Friends gravesite. Oh, it, it was not ma- it was not made public. The friends were afraid that the gravesite would be, you know, desecrated by the friends' opponents, whether from in or out of the sect. So there is a grave. But it is well, no. hidden in the trees? <laughs> we we assume that the public universal friend was buried somewhere. I know you want to think that the friend ascended, but 
but there's no evidence of this, sadly. But but um, but the, is there the, like a place where where people in the no, like, there's it's not just there's no marking. Like we don't know oh. where the body was laid to rest today. Hmm. Um, so I guess all of the wilds of upstate New York are uh, are Equal, a monument equally possible. I mean, the friend was public and universal, right? So seems appropriate. And that concludes the public universal friend. Entry 1006.JE3122, certificate number 29297 in the omnibus. Futurelings, in the unlikely event. Sorry, I'm opening the mail. Is this too loud? Uh, no, no, it's wonderful. Should we do the Quaker noises? In the unlikely event that social media still exists in your era, Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram are archived at at Omnibus Project. Our handles were at Ken Jennings and at John Roderick. It's kind of a spooky Quaker media. Yeah, this is the this is the voice of God coming in through the cracks in the windowsill. Our address for email, which was a popular form of written electronic communication, was theomnibusproject at gmail.com. You can find other futurelings on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, etc. You can send us mail, and Ken is opening some right now. For you, Even John. louder than I'm speaking. It's uh, Although you're listening to this just after Christmas, John's about to get an early holiday present here. P.O. Box 55744 Shoreline, Washington 98155. You don't, it doesn't need to be a holiday to send us wonderful gifts. What do you got over there? Uh, Mike wanted you to have this. Hi, Mike. Thank John, you. On the box, it says special delivery for you. From Taste Coffee Roasters. Say what? Mike uh, Mike says, John, hopefully this is better than the donut shop coffee K-cups you get. Were, were you complaining about bad coffee at some point? Yeah, well, you know, I've been uh, I've been using a uh, one of those Keurig. Uh, it's it's garbage coffee, but it um, I, I someone bought me a Keurig at one point, and uh, because I had an office downtown and I didn't want to have all the rigmarole of real coffee. And so when I unpacked the boxes, I didn't, I didn't put my coffee maker in a proper box. I just, I taped it to the roof of my car and it blew away. So I've been using this Keurig and it was, it was initially supposed to be just like for the first week I was living in my house. Well, here it is. I've, you know, I've been there now a year and. And you're still drinking bad still coffee. Still drinking terrible coffee. Well, those what, days are over. what is all this? You have received. A mug from Taste Coffee Roaster saying, and you're going to laugh, life happens, coffee helps. Hey, life oh, happens. And man. taste, should, it should be noticed, is spelled with a Y. It is. T-A-Y-S-E. You got 10 single-serve pods each of two of Taste's roasts, bold and brazen. Oh, they're pods. And medium and heroic. Oh, all four of those are descriptors of me. Well, even though... No, I'm a medium. Oh, you are. You're the, heroic. You're, you're the perfect medium. These are... Uh, like like agar. I'm Whoa, the, you the, just I'm spilled I'm the public universal medium. I just spilled uh, water all, all over the Star Trek Gold Key comic that's oh, been sitting get, here for a few You got to get that up. You got to mop that up, Ken. All right, let's see here. I was thoughtfully brought a glass of water, but I forgot it was right behind my lap. Golden brazen, totally true of us both. But the thing is, even though this is aren't the aren't coffee pods famously bad for the environment, and those are packaged in. Well, but this says uh, the pods are 100% compostable, and oh. this what would appear to us to be a foil bag. It says the bag is 100% compostable. How is that possible? It's foil. Well, I don't think it is foil. I think it's some magic but thing look, made the, out of potatoes. The other accoutrement here include like some a weird random piece of burlap okay, to burlap. convince you of the eco sure. sustainability of this coffee. Nothing says uh, nothing says eco like burlap. Two wooden clothespins that you can use to reclose your coffee fo- foil bags that are not foil. Probably won't do that, but I'll use these somewhere else. And a piece of twine. Just again, again <laughs> to go with the burlap to randomly make you think that this is sustainable. Maybe the twine and burlap are meant to be a uh, like a I'm meant to fashion them into a kind of loincloth. Maybe you're supposed to tie them around your nipples. It's not clear. Um, but that was nice, Mike. Thank you. Thank you, Mike. Uh, and uh, if you are not in a position where you can send us or me coffee, 
Uh, because yeah, don't it, send me the devil's bean. Yeah, Ken doesn't drink the the evil stuff. He right now, drinks, I'm drinking the only thing I ever drink: tepid water. That's not true. You drink Diet Dr Pepper. Uh, but uh, you can support the show more directly at Patreon.com/slash Omnibus Project. Your contributions not only help us make the show, but also uh, at at a certain level, you're entitled to suggest a show topic, and that like is Alex true of the Public Universal Friend. Yes, if right. you're ever thinking, should I support Omnibus on Patreon, or should I put that same money to work sending John high-end coffee? Mm. Please do not send John high-end coffee. <laughs> Are we going to fight about this? No, no, no. Are it you bold like, and brazen? No, well, I, I've I'm got medium my coffee. and heroic. <laughs> I've got my coffee. You can uh, support the show directly at patreon.com. Listeners, from our, I'm just breaking down boxes now. Yeah, sure. This is, this is the new soundtrack. Sure. Is ASMR? You're literally dressed as a postal postal worker today. Why do you think I'm dressed as a postal worker? Because I'm wearing a sweater. Well, no, it's the it's the it's the particular color of that of that uh, cardigan sweater and the <laughs> and the light blue shirt underneath it. You really just yeah, you're you you either work at Amtrak or you're a postal worker. I mean, it's a good look on you. Thank you. Listeners from our vantage point in your distant past, we have no idea how long our civilization survived. If it all ends today, I will be found in the rubble dressed as a postman. Of course, we hope and pray that catastrophe will never come, but if the worst comes soon, this recording, like all our recordings, may be our final one. But if providence allows, we hope to be back with you soon for another entry in the Omnibus. <laughs>